Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, folks. I am John Najarian, and this is Compound Interests. Compound Interests, I get to interview lots of interesting folks. Um, few more interesting than Sven Henrik. He is the man behind NorthmanTrader.com. Um, I met him probably five years ago in London. Um, I've enjoyed him on Twitter for years. Many of you uh, that follow him, he is at Northman Trader. Um, and I, I think you'll get a pretty good idea of uh, somebody perhaps like many of you who was not a trader on Wall Street, um, but migrated into it because of the opportunities and because of uh, uh, the incredible draw that the markets are to smart people. Smart people love to trade, I think, because there are so many catalysts out there. It could be politics. It could be the Fed. Um, it could be uh, business moving in a different direction, like, for instance, whether that's solar or electric vehicles and so forth. It attracts the markets that it attracts uh, people, I think, because there's always something going on. It's a new day every day. And this guy, Sven, um, does a great job explaining both how he looks at the markets from a macro standpoint, as well as technical. So I think you'll enjoy the discussion with Sven Henrik of NorthmanTrader.com. How the heck are you, my friend? I'm still sore from our last arm wrestling session in London, John. <laughs> I'm the one that's sore. There. Sven, I was uh, talking with you before we came on about how uh, Melissa Lee seems to have something for you because I see you on the five o'clock show um, and you're, you're telling me it's not as often as I think, but whenever I uh, see a five o'clock tweet, nine times out of 10, it's somebody mentioning you um, and some of the observations you have made um, on that show is insightful as always. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, Sven, give us a little background maybe on what started you off as a trader, and then we can get into what Northman Trader is all about. Yeah, I mean, I, I was never a, you know, a market or Wall Street person. I came from the corporate world, really, you know, mainly in the wireless corporate development space in, in internationally for, for many, many years. We were building out wireless networks. And it was not until I actually came to Europe in uh, about two, about eight, nine years ago. You know, I was, I was, you know, not employed at that point. My, my dad had died. My wife had died. It was kind of a personal, you know, tragedy left and right. And I had two little girls and uh, helped out there in Germany. And at uh, that time, I got on Twitter just trading my, myself. You know, I was, used to be an investor, but now I've gotten more into trading. And, uh, you know, I had no connections. There was no CNBC in Germany. There was nothing. So I was just connecting with people and starting putting out trades and starting analyzing markets. You know, coming from the corporate development background, I always used to analyze companies, you know, M&A opportunities. We were looking at all that stuff. And so I always had a knack for, for valuing businesses, but also understanding how, how the world works in, in, a, in a real way. And that helped me with, uh, obviously, ultimately charting and understanding markets. And then, of course, as I got into trading, I understood more and more what influences markets. You know, my favorite subject, central banks and all that good stuff that comes with it. So you, you see me bloviating on that here and there. 
Well, I wouldn't say bloviating. I would say uh, um, that uh, both of us understand that uh, things can't go on like this forever. When I say that, Sven, I mean um, that, uh, you know, nobody really wants to see the United States move interest rates up to 3%, say, and meaning that our debt, we have to repay it at a much higher rate. Obviously, anybody who's ever had to pay a debt knows if you can pay it at a lower rate, you'd prefer to do that. But the issue is, and I think this is what you, the case you make so strongly, um, at what point do you destroy your credit? And then you're not borrowing at three, you're borrowing at six. Because if you destroy your credit, now the United States hasn't done that, uh, at least in my opinion, I'll let you opine, but we haven't destroyed our credit. But uh, at some point, if the debt keeps building, people aren't going to accept 1% or 0.66 on a 10 year, you know, six tenths of a point on debt that goes out 10 years, Sven, um, that's borrowing pretty damn cheap. Um, when the US government can do that in the 10 year space, 145 or whatever on the 30 year, all of those numbers are really cheap. But the risk is that the more the debt piles up, um, when those interest rates move up, it makes it harder to repay. Is that your point, your main point? Well, it's, it's, it's multifold. I mean, the debt is, is one. I think, you know, we've, we've kind of on a, on a path globally where we are not able to ever normalize anything. Uh, we, we keep intervening. And one of my criticisms simply has been that, that intervention has become the go-to solution at the expense of actually implementing structural solutions. And I'm, I'm afraid that globally we're digging ourselves into a hole. Politicians across the globe have benefited from the nonstop intervention regime that we've seen since 2009. Uh, whenever there's any sort of trouble in the economy or in markets, central banks intervene, make it all go away. And therefore there's kind of a, you know, uneasy relationship in the sense that, hey, we don't need to implement difficult structural solutions because we got the magic fairy behind our backs that always saves us and therefore structural solutions never get implemented uh, and at the same time my criticism has been that because central banks always intervene you know we all have been now trained to always buy the debt because we know no correction lasts more than two three four weeks at the most even obviously in the most severe crisis we've had in our lifetimes this year they intervened with an even more incredible amount and so the market, the system never cleanses itself. You know, there was this concept called creative destruction, right? If you, if you run inefficient businesses, you're in a, you know, not strategic in how you run your business, you run up a lot of debt, you get blown out. You know, there, there are consequences for that. And my, my concern is by never cleansing the system out and everybody digging themselves ever deeper into this hole of, you know, we, we need to intervene, we need to save, we need to not deal with the problems, we are creating a highly zombified, inefficient economy that's hurting us, all of us, long term. And I think we've kind of seen that already in the last business cycle. While it was the longest, it was also the slowest, and it was completely debt financed. And the final point here I would argue, by them always intervening and the system never cleansing itself out, we're running from you know, ever higher and higher valuations. And, and these markets are driven by forward multiple expansion. And 
I wonder what is the point of no return, of diminishing returns, and where this jig is up. Because let's be clear, 2019, zero earnings growth. 2020, negative earnings growth. And yet in September, we're at 187% market cap to GDP, never before seen in human history. You know, and, and Apple doubling its multiple, you know, like Apple, I have said before, Apple is a great company, love it, love the products, it's doing well. But, you know, to go from $1 trillion valuation, which it took 35 years to do in, you know, last year to now $2.34 trillion at the beginning of December, an incremental increase of $1.3 trillion in 12 months. Sorry, that's just not justified by any fundamental stories, as positive as you may want to be about 5G. So my, my concern is we're, we're zombifying in the economy, we're, we're running ever higher valuation, and we're financing everything with debt. I guess that was a bit longer answer than expected. But, no, no, so. that, that's, that's exactly the sort that, of, you know? that's the exact sort of thoughtful um, explanation that I usually expect from you. Um, and in fact, I don't know, do you follow Stevie Vicks? On I Twitter? don't. Okay, Stevie um, is a, uh, a vol trader, and uh, he writes newsletters on volatility and things like that. I had him on the show recently. And Stevie is one of those folks that looks at what's going on here. And, you know, every once in a while, he throws out something just like you did. And he said, can anybody explain why um, Apple or the market are at this crazy level? And I throw out things like, you know, the zero interest rates and, uh, you know, in other words, Q infinity and beyond. And uh, then he'll say, well, yeah, you know, and, you know, yeah, there is that uh, Tina, the, there is no alternative um, and so forth. He'll throw out things like that. And I say, see, you just, you just, ju you didn't justify it, but you just threw out one possibility. The other is that multiple expansion that you spoke of, Sven. I'm not justifying them, I'm just saying, most of us can come up with reasons for why the stocks are where they are. Uh, I can't justify it against historic numbers, like you just said. It's impossible to justify it like that. So back to you, did things really change or is this just such a big bubble and just so concentrated in those FANG names in particular and you know the derivative FANG names, whether you wanna say Zoom is a beneficiary the way that Apple has been with the lockdowns and all this. Um, fine, we can talk about that. But do you think the bubble is just so massive? Or do you think that uh, because they're going to hold these rates down here for years, in all likelihood, if they ever, you know, take their foot off the gas at all, uh, do you think that uh, it has to be a bubble? Or can it just be that the thing just holds this inflated uh, valuation for a long time? Yeah, I think that's that's a fair question. I think everybody has to grapple with that because you know ultimately we need to navigate these markets as as best as we can, and and you know from from and we can get to that separately. I mean, I, I love by the way how technically this market is. It 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 does observe technicals very well, but that's a separate discussion. Um, I had concerns going into February uh, before COVID, and COVID was obviously an unpredictable trigger if, if you will but as you know last year the, the market really didn't take off to new highs until the fed cut rates three times and then when this repo intervention came right they, they expanded their balance sheet quite significantly and that's when markets really went nuts but in the lead up to the top in in february 
we saw massively diverging action in the bonds and in the yields. They were not signaling any sort of you know, rebound in terms of the, the economy that was slowing. Uh, in small caps, gold was already growing one bullish pattern after another. There was something brewing in the market all, already when, when all this happened, right? And of course, we had that massive cleanse and, and obviously we know the Fed came in and again with just ungodly, I mean, they didn't intervene just yesterday, right? They, they started in, 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 in September of last year with, with the repo operation. So, uh, multiple expansion was the 2019 story, multiple expansion is the 2020 story. And so we all have to kind of assess here and say, well, we have no history at all to judge and say that we should have with the largest economic event in our lifetime, we should have the highest valuations at the same time. Something doesn't match up, right? Um, I, and I look at equal weight, which is, uh, you know, the, the value line geometric index. I've been talking about that. That itself has produced much lower highs here in this in June and also now in September. It's never confirmed this rally. And the, 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 the reason we had these new highs in S&P and NDX was really because of this chase into tech. I'm not saying tech does not deserve a premium because it's clearly benefited from work from home and, and, and the changes that we've seen as a result of that. But this incredible chase that we've seen into these stocks with these valuations, that along with the retail mania, that has resemblance to what we, you and I have seen in 2000, right? I mean, that, that, you have better business models this time. You have a better foundation of these companies. But at the same time, again, we have a valuation story that's not matched by, by fundamentals. So you have to decide for yourself, do I simply believe in the Fed and their ability to maintain control over what I consider to be an asset bubble vis-a-vis -vis what we've seen before? Or do we, we come to a point where they actually lose control or the market loses confidence in them? I mean, let's, let's face it, it's not only the liquidity that's, that's driving the valuations, but it's the, the psychology that has been fomented over the last 12, 13 years that drives this chase. We have your back. Don't worry, we are maintaining control. We are working to calm markets, i.e. VIX compression. That, that is the belief, you know, but it's, again, it's not justified by, by fundamentals at all. Well, um, let me ask you something that you wrote about um, just recently, Sven, um, uh, triple trouble. Mm. Um, you've touched on some of these already. And I, I always love the way that you put these stories together. I really do. Um, oh, and it's great stuff, folks. Um, if, and again, you see Sven on uh, not just the five o'clock show, but it seems that uh, Kelly Evans over on the exchange loves having you on there as well, Sven. And I've seen you offer some of the, um, you know, the, the top of a counter rally in the year 2000, uh, the September 3rd, 1929 market top, blah, blah, blah. Um, what, when you were writing this particular article, Triple Trouble, what, would you, what were you trying to get across to the reader um, for those that didn't see the article? I'll put a link to it um, when we put the podcast up. But the, the, I think we're, ultimately we have to recognize we're in a battle for control, right? We're talking about the liquidity. We, we're talking about a recovery that's taking place, but that's also slowing down. 
we, we got to recognize, obviously, we had a disaster with, with well, what happened with COVID. Then we had the reopening and a, and a major snap back. And what I try to look for are signals that tell us, okay, now that this bounce has taken place, what is, what is the reality on, on, on the ground? What, what are the signals telling us? And one of, one of the signals that we mentioned before was, was equal weight. Uh, because that just basically, if you look at that indicator, there's an indicator called XVG. It's the value line geometric index. And basically what that's saying is the S&P is trading at 2750 to 2850. You know, the indicator is near the December 2018 lows because the banks are way down. They have the small caps are way down. They're not, they're not showing that v-shaped recovery whatsoever so we just got to be mindful of how perception may be skewed because of what the main indices have said because of that major market cap contribution and then the other thing that you know i'm usually not a currency guy but i've been watching the u.s dollar very closely okay and there was something happening in the dollar in the lead up to the September top, which was it was building a specific compression pattern. It's called a falling wedge. It had a positive divergence and it said, you know what, this could be breaking out and that could bring about some trouble with, with uh, equities and put some more pressure on it. And it did. And last week on Friday at the close, I put a little mini video out on, on, on Twitter and I talked about, okay, well, actually what's happening here is the dollar hit a very specific point of technical confluence. It was the March lows, it's the 23.6 Feb. I mean, I love confluence in technicals, you know? If several points match up, usually that means either support or resistance, right? So watch out for that. At the same time, we had a fallen wedge on the ES, which was a bullish pattern, right? So the, the point was, if we get a rejection in the dollar and we get a breakout of the wedge, we can have a rally in markets. And we did, we, we, we just did, right? So. Everything here is a journey, and the message to readers, I guess, is we can't be dogmatic about anything here in this environment because there's, there's so many influences. And of course, this week, you know, you know, stimulus, stimulus, yes, stimulus, no, yes, no, yes, no, and it keeps going like this. Now, of course, that's the next big liquidity jump here. But now I'm looking at the dollar again, and now that it has eased off, and, and that that's, continues the story of the triple trouble, it may be put in a cup and handle. So watch out because that rejection may build up for more strength in the dollar. And I'm looking at the VIX, another key chart I follow. And, and there is potential, and I say potential. We have to be impressed by how high the VIX has held throughout this year. Typically what you say is, you know, when, when central banks are in complete control, you see a complete crush of the VIX. It goes back into where it was. It didn't fill its February gap, very notable. And it, it keeps doodling around above 24 into 30. And there is a potential inverse here. And if that inverse plays out, we have another volatility spike coming. Can't predict it, it's not confirmed, but it's not invalidated either. So watching closely. Now, um you hit on so many points, um, at least a couple of them. I, I, I want to, I'm not pushing back on any of them, um, but I, I want to expand on, for instance, the stimulus. Um, yeah. Because I've been one of the guys, Sven, saying that uh, the stimulus is uh, uh, necessary because of the forced shutdown, because of the forced job loss in the US. Just like in the UK, you guys, uh, the UK, uh, has done a better job, I think, at providing um, 
that at least bridge, we don't know if it's all the way to the other side, but it's certainly a longer bridge than the US bridge, which basically stopped July 31st. Yes, some states have elected to follow along the president's um, attempt at his own stimulus without the Congress, which was, we'll give you guys 300 bucks, you put up 100 bucks, and which is still not 600, but it would be something, but you're basically taking that payroll tax and saying, we're putting it aside until 2021. Um, you're not forgiving it, we're putting it aside. Um, anyway, some have elected to do that, some haven't. So it's very much um, an incomplete bridge, whereas at least you guys, the bridge is still extending out in front of you a foot by a foot by a foot, and in the United States, it's not. So my point is, I went back in history, looked at uh, the Obama presidency when he won in 2008, and, you know, of course, we seat the president, you know, he gets sworn in on approximately the 20th of January. That's what it'll Hopefully. be supposedly in 2021. Um, but I think Obama was sworn in about the 20th of January as well. And then almost immediately passing the House, a stimulus bill. Um, and back then stimulus was under a trillion dollars spent. Can you imagine? You know, 750 billion or something. Um, and then like a week or 10 days later, it passed the Senate after a little negotiation. And that's when they had both houses, House and Senate in the US, and then the president signed it immediately. Still didn't get out there till at least March. My point right now is that if they fail to help out the people, and again, this is not for John Najarian or for Northman Trader and Sven, for the people that really, really need it, the payroll protection was that bridge to the other side for the businesses that have lost their business through no fault of their own. Um, and the enhanced employment benefit of $600, forget about the $1,200, but the 600 for the enhanced employment ben unemployment benefit, I think those, the PPP and that, as well as some state and local are absolutely necessary. If we don't get that now, Sven, then you're looking at March before we get it because it's not gonna happen you know, after the election in the lame duck. It's not gonna happen until the new president's sworn in and I've already done the timeline. So that's, believe it or not folks, that's six months into the future. That I would posit to you, Sven, that a hundred businesses a day will die without this uh, stimulus in the way I've described it. Do you see any alternative to that or do you see the exact same thing if we don't see in the very short term, today or even into this weekend, right now we're talking on the 2nd of October, folks, but going into this long week, not long, but into this two-day weekend, uh, what do you think happens if we don't get that stimulus? Well, first, let's, let's look at the economic data. We, we got, again, a report uh, of jobs growth that has slowed down significantly from the summer. It was only 611,000. What I have this long-standing <clears throat> Twitter thread of horror uh, talk, uh, called layoffs. I, I call it check. I've been running it since May. And it outlines how companies are laying off, not by the hundreds, by the, by the thousands and by the tens of thousands. And this, this thread has been building and it, it got hit hard this week because there's major companies that, you know, Disney was one of them, of, of course, even Goldman Sachs. I mean, uh, you know, companies across the board are laying off 
And that's even companies that had access to stimulus and benefits and, 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 and all that liquidity. You know, there is this, this is kind of now the journey into the unknown. As I said earlier, we had the sugar rush from all the reopening. We had the, um, you know, the, the, the growth coming back. But now it's kind of coming to the point where you say, all right, what is actually real here? What is, what is the structural impact of the economy? And, and fact is companies have, coming out of any business cycle, they have a major incentive to streamline or right size or get more efficient. You know, you can view that as positively for these companies because they're going to be leaner and meaner going into 2021, but obviously has a devastating effect on what's going on with uh, people in, in, in jobs. And, and the reality is our economy, this is one of my structural criticisms in, in general, and that has been way before this, is that based on an economy that's built on debt and little savings, people don't have a safety cushion. I mean, I remember last year, there were all these articles where people have saved up, you know, 300 or $600 in savings. I mean, that's a terrible situation to be in or to be in a structural re recession. So yeah, I mean, people need help. I, I no no doubt about that. And it's, it's dire straight going into this winter. Plus, you know, there is this virus going on uh, and it does not care what our opinions about it are. You know, and, and I, we can all hope for the best about a vaccine and maybe it becoming less lethal. But the reality is people are still dying. People are still getting infected, as we saw so prominently with President Trump today. Uh, and we have no idea, nobody does, how this thing will work through this now fall and winter season with the flu. I mean, you know. I don't want to predict gloom and gloom here because I can't. I hope for the best because I'm, John, I'm sick of it too. I, I mean, UK is again uh, going up uh, and, you know, just I had to take the kid to the dentist this week and I'll tell you, that was a process, you know, masks and gloves and I'm mean, just, I mean, it's terrible for the people working in these jobs, you know, this is not confidence inspiring. Let's, let's put, put it that way. Right? So, yeah, it's, it's, it's concerning. I think they need to get something done. Um, and then, of course, it brings us back to this whole debt question because, you know, we're running deficits through the wazoo. And, and this is not going to stop. I think next year, whoever is in charge, they're going to keep spending. And that's, that's, that's not kid ourselves. Um, and I think what, what happens in terms of the result of the election will matter greatly in the sense of how much it gets done either way. For example, if, if Democrats were have to have a sweep of the House, Senate, and Presidency, I think it's going to be a spending wazoo, right? Um, in infrastructure, more more stimulus, you name it. I mean, and, and of course, if you know, I'm not a political guy, but I I do voice, I do see what's going on, right? I mean, I already were seeing, you know, now that so much money has been spent, the fiscal conservatives will come back. So if Republicans retain control of the Senate, it's going to be a much more difficult conversation. I think going forward. So we all need to see how that plays out during the election, because I think that has a tremendous impact on how much more stimulus from the fiscal side is coming to the election. And then of course, on top of that, we have another Fed meeting right right after the election. How how just perfectly timed. <laughs> <laughs> Timing is everything, Sven. Um, <laughs> it is. Now I noticed that you uh, retweet uh, or tweet at Carl Quintanilla a lot good friend. Um, Carl's a brilliant man. Um, and I, I like his insights. We probably look at politics through two different uh, uh, sets of glasses. 
I'll say, but that doesn't mean that I don't love him and respect his opinion. Um, now, I saw that uh, uh, Carl was talking the other day. I don't remember if you retweeted this one and then I retweeted you both or what, but this was a, a, a thread whereby Carl was talking about um, whether or not we, uh, the, we see a v, we've seen a V-shaped bottom. And I say, we have. Um, but I said, I never said the economy. I don't trade the economy. And I, my, you know, quip back to these guys, which, like I say, you could have been on in this thread too, was uh, that uh, if there's a market for the economy that I can trade, let me know where it is and I'll trade it. I don't know of a, such a market. Um, people want to tell me that the S&P 500 is, and I tell them, okay, is that why, you know, the top five stocks are 20%? Because, you know, that's what the economy is. We all know that's false. Um, Apple, Facebook, Amazon, Google, um, you know, you start throwing Microsoft and Netflix and some of these guys in there. Um, that's not the economy. They're the ones benefiting, of course, because um, people needed to buy tons of iPads, tons of uh, Macs and various peripherals that Apple sells. People began doing meetings like this. So Zoom shot up. I mean, you, Zoom was under 80 bucks. Um, it traded 500 again this week. Um, you know, these are amazing moves, but again, not reflective of the economy, reflective of um, the uh, uh, catalysts that are out there that are keeping people in their homes and so forth. So like I say, when people talk to me about, well, John, the economy, you know, how is it possible that the market's up with the economy flat on its back? And I said, well, what do you want me to, how do you want me to measure that? I can come up with the stocks. I said, if you really want me to, then I'll say, okay, let's throw the cruise lines. Let's throw the airlines. Let's throw the hotels. Uh, let's throw restaurants. You know, you put a basket of those four together, that'll give you what the economy is really doing right now. Equal unfortunately, way. unfortunately. And yeah, nobody yeah. wants the, nobody wants to trade that thing except from the short side, maybe until recently. Anyway, I've started um, nibbling again at things like the uh, uh, cruise lines. And that doesn't mean that I think it's turning around like that, Sven. I'm a, as you know, I'm a quick hit guy. Um, so I was able to pick up some, you know, whatever, Carnival Cruise Lines at 11 and I was selling back up at 14 and 15. Um, that's what I do. I mean, I am a trader. And for the most part, a lot of these short-term trades have worked out very well, but you need to not overstay your welcome. When you get that move, you've got to take it. So I don't know what charts that you would look at that have to have to take the time frame down, you know, from 20 days to 20 hours, but that would be where I am, Sven. I'm in that 20 hour kind of time frame you, you, most you're of more the time. In the short term day trade type situation and in individual stocks. We're we're approaching it from uh, in index indices, uh, and we're kind of more swing oriented, if you will. And, and sometimes that takes time from a positioning perspective. I'm also a child of volatility. September was lovely from a trading perspective. I mean, there was tons of opportunities to, to buy the dips and short the rips. I mean, there was, there was really nice back and forth moves. And that was overdue because obviously some of these charts were so massively extended. 
July, August, I didn't have a lot of fun in that sense because I'm not a momentum chaser, right? And you know, you have tight. We have we had these tight intraday ranges. Nothing was moving on the indices, right? We had all the action in some of these in individual stocks. My my concern here is just simply, uh, you know, typically what you would see in in a let's. Let's take all the craziness of 2020 out for a moment, just step back and say, okay, what does a typical presidential election year look like? Ironically, it doesn't look all that different. I mean, obviously the moves were exaggerated, but you typically have some sort of scare in the beginning of the year. Then you have a summer rally that goes into September, and then you have some volatility into September, October, and then you get this big, big move into the end of the year. It's possible that we get something like this here if you get, a, for example, right now there's a lot of concern about maybe a contested election uh, after, after November. No idea how that would play out, in, in, be it in courts or in, with, with voters, but obviously markets like un, uh, dislike uncertainty. So that, that may uh, be a concern. But also the, the flip side to that is if you don't get that, you may have a relief rally, right? To, a lot of, to the extent that a lot of concerns are built into hedges and what have you, and they be, become un, un, unwound. So I think, again, you can't be dogmatic. My, my structural concern remains. I think we have extreme high valuations that are exacerbated by liquidity and the psychology of, of liquidity. And if we do not get that stimulus package, as you alluded to, for example, and this does take six months, I think we're in dire straits. I think consumer confidence will take a, a major hit. Um, the economy is, is, is not on a key trajectory, and we don't know what's going to happen here uh, with, with this virus going forward. You know, it, I, I'm, I'm still concerned about that, and they're still, still shuttling those shutdowns. So you know, we, this, the, we can still, we can still yeah, I, I wouldn't say necessarily revisit the low, but you know, we can certainly still test a lot of downside in markets. And keep in mind, one other technical point, on this way up, you know, I've seen open gaps in markets last years, but I've never seen so many open gaps that have not been filled on, on this rally up. And we, we just did some of that filling in September, but there's a lot of open gaps to the downside that I wouldn't mind seeing technically get filled. Maybe not all of them, but at least certain some of them. Let me uh, comment uh, briefly uh, and then let you as well about uh, the president testing positive along with the first lady and the head of the uh, RNC uh, for uh, COVID-19. Now, Mnuchin uh, and uh, Pence tested negative. Um, we haven't heard about Biden yet, but of course, this drove the market down close to 600 points at one point um, when that diagnosis, when the president tweeted that he had that uh, positive test for COVID-19. Um, the Dow at mid-session as we approach it, Sven, is only down 14 points. So flat on the day. Um, the S&P that was down 64 is down 15 right now. The NASDAQ is still down one and a half percent. But you know what stocks are doing the best? Obviously not the NASDAQ stocks. It's, uh, you know, and not my Carnival Cruise Line, which I still have a little bit of, uh, but American Airlines. Um, some of these, uh, uh, the ones that have been shut down, even like Las Vegas Sands and some of these are the ones where money is going into those stocks. You know, the Tom Lee, uh, whatever he calls them, the COVID Rangers or whatever, into those stocks, uh, the reopening stocks, rather than tech. 
is that because they're betting that people are going to see that stimulus bill passed before we get? Yeah, I, I think that's the game at, at, the, at the moment. I mean, Pelosi came out right at the open of the market and said she, she, she believes something will get done. Uh, so I think that's definitely keeping a bit under the market. In fact, we've seen it all week long, right? Uh, if it looks positive to stimulus, markets go up. If it looks negative, it, it goes down. And uh, I think also what helped is uh, Biden actually tested negative. So they, that, that created some more relief, I, I suppose. And uh, to the extent that uh, hopefully President Trump and family remain asymptomatic, you know, that maybe in that sense, a, a, a quote unquote, non, non-event, right? I mean, the, you, you don't want anyone to get hurt by any of this. Um, and, and he's in the risk group, unfortunately, right? I mean, that's, that's also a fact. Right. Well, um, if you had to put on a trade into the election itself, would it be in volatility? Would it be in gold? Would it be in Bitcoin? Um, hmm. So in other words, VIX, volatility, um, gold, precious metals, safe haven, or Bitcoin, which at times has been a little bit, we know that they've moved lockstep, gold, Bitcoin, and the markets at times this year. But would you put on a trade and express an opinion in any of those into the election? Well, just general comment on Bitcoin, as he just said. I mean, I, I, I've been watching Bitcoin for the last couple of years. I've once in a while put out some technical opinions. There, there was some positivity in, in the charts, but it's really just died down in terms of volatility. You know, a lot of people say that it's a, big hedge against you know the monetary madness of of the world but this year it's just been kind of doing the same thing as the market you know maybe the, maybe everything is one one in the same trade at uh, at this point i am watching i hate i i would never like to trade the vix long from a high level okay and it, it is a high level uh, at at this point still but i am watching this level that uh, this chart pattern that we've been watching it, it had every excuse to uh, fill the February gap. It has, even in, in the last few weeks, it had every excuse to, to kind of calm down, like this week when we had this big, big rally. Um, but it keeps building a right shoulder. I, I cannot make a prediction, say it's definitely going to spike higher because the pattern is unconfirmed. But as long as that pattern is out there, I see a risk for, for a major spike for whatever reason. I, I'm, I'm just seeing the pattern and it could go to 55.7. Again, I'm not predicting it, but you know, my wife's on that chart and, and she, she, she's been making some insane calls on, on the VIX. So I always defer to her. Um, and uh, with regards to you know, positioning, knowing that the stimulus may be around, you gotta have a long on, that's kind of my view, right? you got to have a long hedge on that because if, if we get a stimulus today or over the weekend, you, you can see a major rip in, into markets. Um, is that then a sell? That's the, that's the question I have in, in, in my mind. We have some swing shorts up from, from higher up from September. So we're kind of handholding those as well still because part of me, as I'm looking at the structure, I'll just not to make this too long, but there was something really interesting, John, in, in September uh, or in late August into early September. The NIMO, I don't know if you're watching the NIMO, but it, no. it was running negative readings from high to high to high to high. It was, it was signaling basically what it did 
in in September of 2018, S&P made new kept making new highs. NIMA kept making negative readings. Very odd because typically when you have a convincing rally, the NIMO gets overbought. It's positive. It it you know it shows strength in in a particular rally. Did not happen, and it did not happen this time around. And it's been basically negative now since um, since middle of August. Very strange. So even on the rallies that we've we've had since then, the, the bounces just kind of goes back to neutral at best. Um, and and what happened was in 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 the fourth quarter of 2018, there was one spike. It was a it also came out of a remember the falling wedge I mentioned at the outset. I we do. we also had a falling wedge. It had a rally that got to the 618. 61.8 FIB precisely, and it failed. And it came on a positive NIMO reading, and then we moved on to new lows in December 2018. Analog, I don't know, always be cautious, but I'm noticing similarities that NIMO is, is odd. I haven't seen that big push to positive, and it tells me we may still see new lows. If we do, there is massive support confluence in the 3,000 to 3,100 area. Yeah, there's, there's all kinds of technical levels there that I'm watching closely. So if we get there, maybe in buying opportunity, we'll see. All right. And uh, if I could, just one more question, uh, Sven. Um, soccer or football? Mm. <laughs> American football or British well, football? Well, we call it football over here. Yeah, know? I know. I know. <laughs> I, you I and really, John Farrell. I, I do watch the World Cups, and I, I, I did watch the uh, the Champions League this this summer that was kind of interesting anything uh that you'd like to leave us about uh northmantrader.com as far as uh you know this is your chance to pitch me Sven. <laughs> uh what what when people subscribe to you do they get daily commentary do you guys give them signals and things like that if you wouldn't mind, well, not if you wouldn't mind, I, I'm giving you the stage so that you can ab absolutely tell us what uh, services you guys offer at northmantrader.com. And for everyone listening, that was not planned. John just sprung that up on me, but happy, <laughs> happy to talk about uh, I do a number of things on our service. We have a daily market brief where I'm basically outlining what I see, what our strategies directionally, um, what levels we're, we're looking at. It's kind of your, your broad strategy document. Then we have a live alert feature. That's where our technical signals trigger, either long or short. For some reason, I don't know why, I have this reputation for being a perma bear. Yeah, always, why is that? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing you made more money on the upside than downside. It, 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 it does surprise sometimes. Yeah. I mean, we, we want to be ready when there are the big flushes, uh, no, no doubt about it, but we're also aggressive the other side when it comes. I think the issue is for me is that I am highly critical of the macro structure. And uh, that obviously bleeds into my Twitter feed. And I'm, I'm earnest about it. I'm, I'm passionate about it. And I, I point these things out. And then, of course, you know, there's, there's an old adage, as you, as you well know, tops are processes and bottoms are events. So if, if you're bullish, it happens very quickly. And you're, you're wrong just for a little while. If, 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 if you're trying to sell something and the top is a process, and that can take weeks, right? And if you, and you point it out, you're going to look wrong for, for a much longer time. And then you get that, that perception, I guess, that you're a perma bear. Now, we, we try to be extremely practical about markets. 
uh, and uh, about the direction of markets. But yeah, we have a clear opinion, obviously, what we see, and we, we, we point that out. And then separately, I've been putting out these market videos, uh, you know, two or three times a, a month where I just kind of give a visual to what I see in the charts. And, and that's a separate service that we have as well that's out there for people to subscribe to if, like, if they like to. Beautiful. Sven, stay safe. Um, you know, stay active on Twitter because I enjoy your feed like crazy. And uh, I look forward to getting over there. I might be going over to Scotland in the next month or so uh, to go up to Guthrie Castle. I'm talking with Dan Pena, this crazy guy, about coming up and uh, doing an event with him at his castle. So if that happens, I'll make sure that London is part of the trip. Uh, absolutely, but make sure that they may put you in quarantine for 14 days from what, what, I, what I hear, so watch out. Even if I'm traveling on an EU passport? <laughs> I think it's from your, your source, of, the, your source yeah. of travel, not your passport. <laughs> yeah, I worry about that. Sven, thank you so much. Sven Henrik, folks of NorthmanTrader.com. Been a pleasure. We'll have you back. Thank you, Sven. Lovely talking to you, John. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.